Drink and Read presents Dune Part 4, pages 161 to 205. to the dune and let me play among the spice let me see what makes the planet arrakis so very nice hello dunies and welcome to the next latest greatest best episode of drink and read a read and drink podcast starring yours truly jonathan kwiatkowski currently in the midst of reading frank herbert's dune Since this is a book club podcast, half the fun is reading along, but if you didn't, that's okay, I got you covered anyway. Young Paul Atreides got to sit in with his dad on his council, and we got to meet a few major characters, including the current leader of these Fremen, Stilgar. Duncan Idaho should be called Hannah Montana because he's getting the best of both worlds, being an Atreidean commander, and working his way into the good graces of the Fremen people. Good Emperor Leto has a plan to set a little extra dosh on the side in case the Padishah Emperor pokes his nose in some business where it doesn't belong, so that way, House Atreides comes out on top again. Suck it, Harkonnens. But while this is going on, he's gathering help from the people of Arrakis to hopefully overthrow the Harkonnen rule and break the wheel of oppression throughout the universe. A casual reminder though, Duke Leto is being predicted to die by everyone and their sister and their mother, and there is a traitor in their midst, Dr. Yue. However, everyone is pointing fingers at another person, and the most fingers pointed at? They're aimed at Lady Jessica. We know who the true traitor is, and maybe we'll get to the bottom of that today, but the other characters are none the wiser. Paul and his mother are being hailed as Messiah and Mother of Messiah from the people in our Arakeen due to a prophecy that some characters are taking with a grain of salt, but all signs are pointing to, yes, you are the Messiah. Duke Leto takes Paul aside and goes, I would never suspect your mother, but we have to make the Harkonnens believe that I do, so we're going to treat her like absolute shit, even though, deep down, I really love her and know she wouldn't try to murder me. Oh, how sweet. Paul Leto and a few of his men hop in a thopter with the resident interstellar ecologist Dr. Kynes. Dr. Kynes initially balks at these Atreidians invading again, thinking that this is just a changing of the guard, but after Duke Leto rescues a few Fremen and innocent workers, Dr. Kynes changes his tune. Besides this, House Atreides is keeping up appearances, and tonight we begin with the cocktail party from hell, so pass out the hors d'oeuvres and let's get ready to crash a party. And that's what you missed on Dune! Before we begin, though, I do like to make my public apologies early on in the episode. Last time, after re-listening to the episode that I recorded, I keep calling the Fremen the Freeman, and, uh, I know that's not correct. I'm sorry, please don't lambast me online, I already get enough of that as it is. Previously mentioned in earlier episodes, my superpower is the bastardization and butcherization of names, places, and things. So while you may be booing me over the airways, I just take boos as applause from Ghost Hanny. So let's get started, but wait, there's one more thing. It is drink and read, after all. We're reading, but what are we drinking? And I thought, what better drink than a sinister cocktail party than to provide some lovely red, red wine today? 
Usually I try to stay away from the red wine ever since I decorated my walls with red wine, but that's a story for a different time, and today I have a lovely blend for you. I have this lovely chilled bottle of Tuscany red wine entitled Borgio de Maletto. And I think this is a perfect match because not only is it sexy and seductive, but, you know, we always need a bottle of red wine at a tragic dinner party so someone can do a spit take, chuck it at a wall, swill and sniff dramatically in a glass. It just fits the mood perfectly, don't you think? Not only that, but I can feel it going down in my teeth. And that joke will make sense at the end of this episode, I promise, so stay tuned. Okay, with all the business out of the way, as Celine Dion would say, shall we go for it? We begin with a Rulon elucidating once more. The princess of narration introduces us to a little adage, and I think she's in the wrong business. She should have stuck to writing fortunes and cookies. Greatness is great and can destroy any great man, but only the man who recognizes his normalcy in the greatness can use his greatness to do great things. Who do you think you are, Tony the Tiger? Listen, I get she's talking about either Duke Leto or Paul, probably Duke Leto in this scenario, since he's about to be on his way out, but uh, maybe the overuse of the word great really stuck in my craw. And the dinner party is on, cue the strings, the curtains, the atmosphere of it all. It's a scene out of Clue where it feels like someone's gonna wind up dead by the end of the night. Duke Leto is throwing a party for the hoi polloi of Arrakis. You've got snoopers, stealers, smugglers, and the bourgeois all present. Duke Leto is observing the dining hall, just wondering how the party's going, and still concealing not feeling because he fears that his death is imminent. He ponders to himself, how will I go? Will it be poison? If it is poison, I do have a poison snooper, which is a machine slash person. I wasn't quite sure if it's a person's job or if it's a machine's job to do this, um, to analyze a drink to see if it will kill you. And the dinner conversation begins with the mistreatment of the Arakian people by the Harkonnens. There is a tradition in Harkonnen, at least when they ruled over the planet Arrakis, that after dinner they would wash their hands and then wring out a towel and then have the poorest of the poor come and like leech water from the towel. In Duke Leto's mind, this is our barbaric practice, and he says, The evil dies tonight, quoting Halloween. It's good guy Leto all over. While the Duke is dealing with the weight of his own mortality, Jessica is girl-bossing to the nines. She's dressed in Duke Leto's favorite colors, and she's running the business and trade of the household while making small talk with the guests. Paul is also off at the kids' table, trying to schmooze over the young and prestigious of Arrakis. Duncan Idaho is further observing the whole function, acting as a bodyguard, making sure that no one tries anything tonight. Paul, though, is completely over this and says there are bigger problems we should be dealing with than throwing a dinner party. Duke Leto's decision to get rid of the towel law actually stirs up the crowd here who are like, Duke Leto, you arrive on this planet and you immediately change some traditions. What gives you that right, especially when you got that gorgeous conservatory that takes like 70,000 gallons a day to plant flowers? While Duke Leto is stuttering and stammering, Jessica swoops in and goes, No, that conservatory is for the place that we hope Arrakis can be one day, lush and full of greenery, as a tribute to, like, our ecologist, Dr. Kynes, as well. Dr. Kynes, also at this dinner party, is happy to receive a mention and gets another clue that Jessica might be the mother of the Messiah because she seems to care about the people of Arrakis and mentions what the planet may someday look like. 
Still unsure whether Paul and his mother fit into this prophecy, though. And it continues. Don't take a drink every time it happens, otherwise we'll all be dead by the end of this episode. I feel like this is just an episode of Blue's Clues, except it's Dune's Clues. Jessica go gets her man and takes him to the dinner table, all the while inwardly hoping that her son could probably be the Kwisatz Heterok. And while this is going on, even though Leto defended her a few chapters ago, here he's like, it could be Jessica, she could be the one, my dear heart, that's going to betray me. The intrigue from this one dinner alone is enough to give anyone the vapors. Of course, Thufur Hawat forbade this dinner as it's not a good thing to throw a dinner party when someone's trying to assassinate you and your family, but Leto, as always, wants to keep up appearances, and Jessica says, sure, I'll arrange who's going to be there, but we're going to have no Fremen there except for our ecologist, Dr. Kynes. I think she's doing this, one, for a break from all the overstimulation of fearing for your life, and two, she's trying to work out who the assassin might be and who might be an ally that could help their family in a time when they need to escape. Duke Leto makes a very awkward opening welcome to the table and guests, and Jessica has a very Shakespearean quote where she says, Oh, they think him drunk already and the dinner's not even begun yet. And ooh, girl, if this is gonna be a shit show... <laughs> Jessica goes, how can I distract the people further? Oh, Gurney, can you sing us a song? But Duke Leto goes, no, it's my duty to entertain. I may not be able to sing, but I can speak the lyrics aloud. All right, Leto, I'm sure that's what everyone wants to hear. In fact, it is not, and everyone sits in embarrassed silence as Duke Leto orates. He gets a little showy, comments on wasting water as a power play. Paul and Jessica give each other the side eye and go, this isn't going well. It's a very uh, smash the windows moment from Madame Bovary. But the vibes I'm getting is Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock from Clue, like, I am determined to enjoy myself and oh my, this spice is delicious. <laughs> Don't touch me, I'm a duke's wife! Well, watch Clue, if anything. But the hoity-toity who are there are like, one does tire of having the spice in every meal. Is this Thanksgiving with my white parents? It might be. Small talk evolves into Duke Leto and Paul with the carry-all and sandworm situation that just happened the last chapter, and while this is going on, Jessica is using her Benny Gesserit training to analyze the minds of her guests. She determines that one guest, who's supposedly from the guild, is a Harkonnen agent based on the way he speaks. She laments that even the guild is against them now, and then analyzes this fool saying he's going to talk about something stupid and redundant to make it seem like he's innocent. He immediately changes the subject to like, I like the birds on Arrakis, how about you? And Jessica goes, remind me to make a note for someone to kill him later. Paul, too, using his training senses that this dude is lying, and then reads him for filth, honey. Blood? I'm trying to eat here. And then this banker dude further shows his ass by making an extremely racist comment to Dr. Kynes, and Dr. Kynes claps back. Duke Leto is just sitting there drinking his drink, loving the drama, and then dinner returns to normal for a time. They're having some delicious rabbit tongues on the menu, and we talk about the law of minimum linked to the lack of water here on the planet. Kynes thinks that this is a cycle that could eventually be broken, but gets scoffed at by all of the rich people, except for Jessica, who takes genuine interest. The others are joking that there's no water on this planet, but Kynes does point out there's probably a lot of groundwater or water underground that we could use, and then we have the polar ice caps that could serve us well, even though they're constantly surrounded by dangerous storms. 
Tensions continue to rise and rise. Jessica notices that one of the guest companions isn't eating the food. That's suspicious. That's weird. And then suddenly, Duke Leto receives a message, gets up and goes, Paul, as my son, take over this dinner party. That doesn't bode well. Even though Duke Leto says it's nothing to be alarmed about, Paul assumes the worst, and him, his mother, and father have this secret hand communication system language that translates to, everything's fine, just please take care of the party. As if this party wasn't morbid enough, the conversation shifts to ways to die, and then they bring up on Caladan while people drowned, and the people from Arrakis here are like, drowned? What does that mean? They say, well, that's when you swallow enough water that you can't breathe and you die. And everyone's like, ooh, ah, that sounds like the way to go, though. Paul is thinking to himself that I'd rather be drowning right now than hosting this dinner party. It's like one drowning man climbing on top of another to survive here. And all I want is someone to pass the damn salt. Paul shows his talents for witty repartee by winning over a smuggler in a conversation, and then Paul and Jessica decide to team up as a family for some psychological warfare against this stupid banker dude. This banker dude has a niece there whose name is Susu, and Jessica is like, of course her name would be Susu. What a dummy. And all the dinner Susu's been making uh, flirty eyes with Paul, Jessica, Paul, and Gurney all realize that it's not a very good plan that this banker dude is planning. They want Susu to have sex with Paul and then kind of betray and manipulate the situation from there. And um, that's not gonna happen here. Jessica and Paul are still doing their good job of hosting. The conversation shifts once more to a legendary mother load of spice to be found in the southern reaches. How do we get down to that spice? Is it just a legend? Then we learn about soaks and sip wells, where water is found by digging, and essentially sipping the water out from the ground through an extremely long bendy straw. As this is going on, Jessica receives a post-it note from Duke Lido saying that everything is fine, don't worry, how's the party? Jessica goes, well, who's up for some dessert power? <laughs> I do joke, but honestly, for dessert today, we're having some sweet pongi rice and sauce dolce. But all this, too, is unfortunately an act. Jessica knows that everything is certainly not fine, and she fears that the Harkonnens have shipped in some laser guns and more possible weapons, and Harkonnens are hiding out on the planet here. And the epigraph ends with Jessica going, We are in danger. We have to leave here. Why are Paul and Leto acting like nothing is wrong? Soon we will all be screwed. The next epigraph begins with another simple Arulan elucidates. There is no escape. We pay for the violence of our ancestors. How quaint is that? Can I get that cross-stitched on a pillow? It's 2 a.m. at space time, however that works, and Jessica hears a disturbance, a.k.a. something that goes bump in the night. She fears it's a Harkonnen attack, goes to check on Paul, but Paul is soundly sleeping in his bed, and she hears someone else calling out for Dr. Yue and runs off to investigate the noise. Maybe just pick up a space baseball bat along the way, Jessica. The person yelling is revealed to be a very drunk, very unhurt Duncan Idaho. Duncan, you're not doing yourself any favors by having the most frat boyish name that currently exists in written literature. You don't have to be screaming through the halls at 2 o'clock in the morning. He's loudly exclaiming how he boinked someone who was at the party, and Jessica goes, This can't be good. Something is definitely up. Did they use Duncan Idaho to get to us? Was he drugged by this person? She's also never seen Duncan quite this drunk, and asks Mapes to go get him a pot of coffee to freshen up. Dr. Yue is also suspiciously up, checks out Duncan Idaho and goes, yep, he's drunk, and Jessica demands that Duncan Idaho become sober this very minute. Duncan Idaho, in his drunken stupor, accuses Jessica of being a Harkonnen spy. 
Jessica is hurt by this because her husband has apparently gotten to his boyfriends before even telling her about it, and she assumes that the only traitor here has to be Thu for Hawat because he's the only one with two working brain cells. Jessica has had enough, goes Duncan, go sleep it off in another room. Dr. Yue, go fetch me Thufur Hawat this instant. I want to interrogate him. Thufur's like, are you sure you want to do it now? Jessica says, yes, we're going to do it right now. Now remember, Jessica's not turning up to this interrogation unstrapped. She has that Chris knife that Mapes gave her and her mental Benny Gesserit mind powers to help her out. Thufur arrives, the two size each other up, and Jessica reads him mind and out and comes to the decision that he can't be the traitor. She has an innate sense about her, and she also reveals to us, dear readers, that she's pregnant with a second child, a daughter to the Duke. No one knows about this, and neither did we, but now we do. And Jessica is kicking herself because if only they had a truthsayer here, but where's a truthsayer when you need one, am I right? She's going down the list of usual suspects in her head and arrives at Dr. Yue again. I mean, flashing a neon across her mind, but then she puts it to the side and goes, It cannot be Dr. Yue. We are at a stalemate here. The pair surmise that Duncan Idaho must have been driven to drink because he misses Kaladin and he's kind of like accepting, coming to terms, that they're all going to die on this foreign desert planet. The attempt on Paul's life is brought up, and Thufur says we have to do what's best to serve the Duke, but Jessica is thinking that I'm gonna do what serves myself and my son before the Duke. Jessica then makes some hurtful comments about Thufur Hawat being a mentat and having the inability to feel. She's very emotional, he's very practical, they're rivals here. And Jessica also goes, Thufur, for such a great assassin, you know, if I wanted to kill the Duke, you couldn't have stopped me because I'm trained in combat as well. Thufur gets a bad vibe from her and starts feeling up the hidden poison darts that he always carries on his person. But then, no violence, please. Jessica's like, we shouldn't fight here. You may think that the Harkonnen wanted us to fight each other and kind of like be at each other's throats while their plan is going on behind the scenes so no one would notice. Mmm... Maybe that's exactly what they wanted, yes. Thufur being the equivalent of a human plus supercomputer would be a great asset for the Harkonnens to have, and Jessica commands Thufur to sit with the full extent of her voice power. And she's like, I made you sit with just my voice, imagine what I could do with the full extent of my witchy powers, and Thufur's like, well shit, she probably is right about that, yeah. But deep down at her core, her Bene Gesserit training has convinced Jessica that she is only here to serve a greater purpose. Please, Thufur Hawat, get to the bottom of this traitor business right now. This situation that Thufur finds himself makes him recall Duke Lido's father, who was a matador, except in this position, he is the bull and Jessica is the matador. Girl boss. He admires Lady Jessica's insurmountable power and says, You know what? I like her now. I'm gonna do my job even better to get to the bottom of this. And our next epigraph begins with a Rulon elucidating a funeral song about how you're the victim of your own follies. This bodes well. It's super cheerful. Sarcasm. This also happens to be our final epigraph of the episode, so finish that drink now. What was Duke Leto doing during the dinner party? Well, he was analyzing a secret note. It's at night, two days later, after said dinner party, and he can't get over the secret message of a column of smoke by day, a pillar of fire by night. What could it possibly mean? Could it mean that our enemies are going to be evasive like smoke in the daytime and then strike with the fiery passion of an intense column of said fire at night? I mean, I'm no master, but yeah, I think that's the gist of it. And Duke Leto has spent these two days wondering about who he can trust. Can he talk to Jessica, Duncan, Thufur? Who can he rely on? Then he hears a mewling sound in the dead of night. 
It's coming from a service passage, and he goes out there in his nightclothes, sneaking up against the wall in the pitch darkness to investigate what's going on. It turns out that someone's dead, the smuggler from the dinner party who goes by Tuick. I wonder how he got dead so quickly out here. The Duke continues to investigate more dying sounds further down the hallway, and it turns out it's our homegirl, Mapes, who lays dying, but before she goes, she passes on the message, Duke Leto, you're in danger, get Jessica and Paul out of here while you still can. R.I.P. Mapes. Before Duke Leto can even get up and react to this, someone creeps up behind him and stabs him in the back with something that paralyzes him, hits through his shield. Uh-oh, it turns out that it is. The traitor is. Are you ready? It's Dr. Yue. Bum bum bum. But we knew that already, didn't we? Yue looks sad, even though he shouldn't have been able to do this because he was conditioned not to, you know, injure the people he serves. But he says to the Duke, I'm sorry I have to do this. I really hate the Baron. I'm going to use you as a stepping stool to get to him. But just in case my plan goes south, I have a little bit of a backup plan. Unfortunately, you're involved in that too, Duke Leto. Within your mouth, unbeknownst to you, I have placed a false tooth that when you um, bite down upon, it's going to release some of the most noxious fumes you've ever smelled since after that dinner party. And this poison gas is going to kill you and everyone in close proximity. So good luck with that. And Dr. Yue and Leto both know that this plan will work, even though um, Leto is passing out into unconsciousness at this time, because the Baron loves to gloat, and he will get up in someone's face to be like, Haha, I win, you lose, die anyway. But remember the tooth, Duke Leto. And Dr. Yue expresses guilt. He says it's kind of fucked up that I had a deal about delivering you for the price that I have to pay. This feels like an entire nightmare for both him and Duke Leto. Well, imagine how Duke Leto feels. He was just going for a late night walk. He found two people dead and now he's paralyzed, being handed to his mortal enemy by his family doctor. Duke Leto asks the question before he passes out, what if I refuse? And Dr. Yue says, you won't refuse because I'm using you as a distraction to help your wife and son escape from here. So do this for me. I'm going to make sure that Paul and Jessica appear dead, that way the Harkonnen assume that they're dead and stop looking for them. As a testament for this, I'm going to give Paul your signet ring, so let me just get that off your finger. Good. Goodbye. I hope we meet again in some form of afterlife. And remember the tooth, this entire scene is very Shakespearean, and that's where we're going to leave our characters for today's episode. They have been betrayed. What's going to go down in the next few epigraphs? And my, 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 these episodes are bite-sized. They're causing me to drink very quickly as I recap them. But remember, next week, if you're staying tuned for us, you'll be continuing Dune the novel with pages 206 to 253. Within those, we're going to see how the Harkonnens' plan to invade Arrakis occurs. We're going to see what happens to Jessica and Paul. Will Dr. Yue keep his promise? And unfortunately, we're going to get an interrogation scene between Baron Harkonnen and Duke Leto that I hope doesn't go south too quickly. But, you know, it's Dune. Anything is possible. I just want to thank you loyal listeners, as always, for keeping up with Dune and this humble little podcast. If you like the sound of my voice and my narration skills, then feel free to check out my other two podcasts, the first of which being Nightcaps at the Theater, where me and a couple friends get a little drizzy drunk and watch some movies, and the second being Anime Was Not a Mistake, where me and Dan Ryan, my fellow co-host, check out anime and anime-adjacent properties for you to enjoy. 
Until next time, I have three things to offer. Number one, remember the tooth. Number two, do not fear because it is the mind killer. And number three, as always, remember to drink and read responsibly. Thank you for listening to Drink and Read. Hosting for this podcast brought to you by Anchor. This podcast can also be found on Spotify, Pocket Cast, and more. If you have any thoughts or questions, or any beverage recommendations, please feel free to reach out to us on drinkandreadpod at Instagram. Support of this podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Thank you.